going to be first. And I hope I'm not going to be last. I guess it's questionable if you were to line up when people are going to go in, preacher, when I'm going to go in. But let me tell you what's not in doubt. The fact of whether or not I'm going in. Amen. Amen. So I settled that years ago. And I met Christ there at an old rugged cross, and I knelt there, and I trusted him as my Savior, and I've just been resting there ever since that day. Look with me in your Bible, look with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter number 12. Luke chapter number 12. Thank you again, church, for your faithful support. Personally, you support us. And I can get up every day. Preacher, and I don't have to think about anything else but help ministries. And I'm able to do that because of churches like this one. So thank you for your support. If you found your place in Luke chapter number 12 and you're able, in reverence to the reading of the Word of God, would you stand with me this morning? Luke chapter number 12. I want us to look in verse number 13. Luke chapter 12 and verse number 13, the Bible says, And one of the companies said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? He said unto him, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Then he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. And I want to preach this morning on this thought, there's more to life than this. There's more to life than this. Heavenly Father, we ask you, Lord, to challenge us, enlighten us, encourage us from your word today. Lord, it's been good to be in your house the congregational singing, the young, the children, the choir special, the special that we just heard, the testimony of Brother George. What a blessing. The Sunday school hour, it's just been good to be in your house today. Now, Father, would you just top the day off, this morning off, with a message from heaven. May the Spirit of God be our minister today, and, and might you use the Word of God to illumine our hearts and we'll ask it and, and trust it and believe it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You can be seated, please. If we're not careful, we buy into the world's philosophy, the world's plans, the world's dreams. We've been taught it ever since we were little kids. There's this American dream. And sometimes these dreams that we have, we don't even realize it, but it becomes the main focus and the main point of our lives. And we lose sight of what's most important. We tend to think that we're physical beings and we have this small spiritual side to us and we're not sure how to figure out this spiritual aspect because we believe ourselves to be physical beings. But here's the problem with that. The rest of the creation other than us are physical beings. They were created by God. They were formed uh, uh, from, his, from his spoken word. And we too were formed from the dust of the ground. And we were formed from the physical earth. But then something that separates us from the rest of God's creation, God breathed into us. He breathed into us the, the spirit of God the, into, the, into Adam's nostrils, the breath of life. And man became a living soul formed in God's image and in his likeness. And, uh, and so we're not physical beings trying to figure out how to operate in the spiritual. We're spiritual beings trying to figure out how to operate here in the physical. And as a result of this, we're just not sure how to figure this thing out. And the things that we think are so important are oftentimes the physical things. It's not that they're not important. It's that they're not the most important things. Now, Christ is going to address two audiences here. You may say, if you're here and you're, you're a wealthy person, God's not against you, and God's not only speaking to wealthy people today. In this passage, he's going to speak to those who have and those who have it. But the important thing is not whether or not you have it or you don't have it. The important thing is the attitude of the heart that whether you have it or don't have it, and that's what Christ is going to go after here in this parable, was the attitude of the heart. Albert Einstein was once traveling from Princeton on a train, and the conductor came down the aisle and he was punching the tickets. Now this was years ago and he's punching the tickets and Einstein reached in his pocket and he couldn't find his ticket. So he, he, he's in his trousers, man, he's, he's looking in the seat beside of him and he's doing everything he can do to try to find his ticket. And the conductor's like, Mr. Einstein, he says, I know who you are. Everybody on the train knows who you are. I'm sure that you bought a ticket. You just can't find the ticket. It's okay. Don't worry about it. And he went on to the next person and he finished finished checking all the tickets inside the car and he, he was leaving that car going to the next one and he was shutting the door and he saw Albert Einstein down on his hands and knees looking up under the seat trying to find that ticket and he went back to him and he said sir Mr. Einstein again I know you bought a ticket and he said we know who you are you don't have to worry about it he said young man he said I too I too know who I am he said what I don't know is where I'm going You know, sometimes we've bought this ticket and we're not sure where it's going to take us. See, this rich fool bought a ticket 
And let's be honest, he probably had a good life, an enjoyable life. Uh, sometimes folks will get up and say there's no pleasure in things, there's no pleasure in money. But that's not, that's not completely true. There is some pleasure in that. But the problem with it is it's temporary and it lasts right up to the point until it doesn't. And the point will come in life when you will realize that these things that you think are so important... They won't be. Now, I want us to think about this. Do you know where you're going? Do you know where you're going to end up if you continue on the path that you're currently on? Are you looking at life with the mind of Christ or are we looking at it utilizing the wisdom of this world? So deeply rooted in the center of this passage is a parable of a rich fool. He's a prime example of someone that's living life and keeping score as the world keeps score. Now many of Christ's parables, they involve money. They illustrate the tension that comes as we live in two worlds, the physical and the spiritual. And Christ teaches us how to resolve this tension by giving priority to the spiritual. And if we're not careful, what we tend to do is give our priorities to the physical. We can't forget about the physical because we are physical beings and we have to have certain things. But we have to put our priority in the right area. And this rich fool or this person that come and ask the question had his priorities in the wrong area. Christ knew it. That's why he gave the parable. But the other thing that... That the, that the parables do, they have another theme. They expose the games that are played by people who want to appear to be spiritual. And even in my own life, preacher, I look back on it, there's been times where I've played games trying to appear to be spiritual, but if I really looked at it through God's eyes, through his glasses, through a spiritual lens, it would have exposed my problem. If we're not careful, we're caught between what we see around us and something that God says is far more real. So we need to put ourselves, we need to come to the place where we commit ourselves to one world only. And that's the spiritual. The things, Matthew Henry said this, I want, I want you to listen to this. He said, the things of this world will not suit the nature of a soul nor supply its needs, nor satisfy its desires, and I love this part, nor last as long as it will last. It will supply for a while, and it will do good for a while, but the point will come when the things of this world, the soul will live so much longer than everything that we accumulate and have here. The rich are prone to be covetous. The poor are prone to worry. Both are sins and both will be dealt with in this passage. When we substitute things for life, we stop living by faith. We stop trusting God and all of nature trusts God to meet their needs. And God in this text and in this passage is going to show his disciples how nature trusts God to meet its needs and how they too, we didn't read the verses, We'll get there. We will not finish this today. We will only start it today, and it'll be probably tomorrow night before we finish this. There's way too much here to jam in into a two-hour short Sunday morning service. Just That was a joke right there. That was a bad joke. 
I'll just see who is still awake, and I, I've got some work to do. I, I mean, my work is cut out for me. Now, so uh, looking back, we see that, and one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother. It's interesting, if you were to go back and read the book of Luke from the beginning, in, uh, in Luke chapter 1, there's the, there's Zacharias goes in there and there's the annunciation to him. Mary gets visited by an angel. In chapter 2, it's the birth of Christ. In chapter 3, it's talking about John the Baptist, the baptism of Jesus, the genealogy of Christ. Uh, uh, Luke 4 is the temptation of Christ. Now, there's other things in there, other teachings, but these are some of the big things that are dealt with. And in 5, he tells the disciples to launch out into the deep. And he tells them they're no longer going to catch fish, but they're going to catch men. In chapter 6, he heals a man with a withered hand. He does it on the Sabbath. Uh, the Beatitudes are given. In 7, the centurion's faith. The widow of Nain, her son had died, and Jesus raised the widow of Nain. The parable of the sower in chapter 8. He calms the storm. He casts out devils. There's the woman with the issue of blood. In chapter 9, he commissions the twelve. Uh, he tells the disciples about his crucifixion. He sends out in chapter 10 the 70. We deal with Mary and Martha. And in chapter 11, we have the Lord's Prayer. And now he's in the midst of teaching. Uh, I, I want you to look at what the Lord is teaching. Look up with me in verse 11 uh, uh, of Luke 12. And when they bring to you in the synagogues and under the magistrates and powers, take no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. I want us to understand what happens here on this day. The Lord is in the midst of delivering some tremendous teachings. This book is, is delivering some tremendous, and in the very middle of Christ's teaching, someone comes up in the middle of this of something that's really, really important. And here's what he has to say. Here's what he has to say. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Do you see the futility of this request? Do you see the superficial and, uh, and simplicity? And really, I mean, uh, if you're going to say something in this moment, if you're going to ask a question, I know we say this all the time, there are no stupid questions, but I beg to differ. Right here in this moment, you know what I believe? This was a foolish request. He said, Lord, I want you to speak to my brother that he divide unto me his inheritance. I mean, there's people with real problems. There's people that can't walk. There's people that can't see. There's people that are dead, that are passing by. There's people that are lost. Uh, there, there's people with real problems at the bottom. And here's this guy. He thinks he's got a real problem. Now, you know what? It probably was the biggest thing in his life at the time. He makes a selfish request. It reveals his priority. If you could ask Jesus one question for help, if you could have him solve one problem in your life, what would it be? If there's one thing here on this earth that you could say, if he, if he would come and say, Mark, I'm going to give you one thing. What do you want? If you were to ask this guy on this day what the thing was, he's already told us what it was. The biggest thing on his plate was a dispute between his brother over a piece of property that their father had left to them. And he, that was the most important thing in his life at that time. 
Though he came not to be a divider of men's estates, Matthew Henry said this, he came to be a director of their consciences about them. He said, Master, the great preacher of righteousness, there's a need of thee in this world. I'm the victim of injustice and, and my own brother who withholds from me the rightful share of the inheritance that's fallen to us. And I need you to step in and fix the problem. And what does the Lord do? He said, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? He's not even going to touch it. He didn't come to settle disputes. He didn't come to fight for land and property. The rich man was more concerned. Uh, in the middle of Christ's teaching, he's more concerned. I'm sure he's not even listening to what God is saying. He's not even listening to what Christ is saying because he's just waiting for that moment to be able to ask the question because his mind is occupied by a piece of property or whatever the inheritance was. And he, maybe he wasn't getting the fair share. Maybe he was the eldest son and he was supposed to get the double portion. Maybe he was the youngest son and he didn't like the fact that his older brother was going to get the double portion. We have no idea what the problem was but he didn't feel like he was getting his share and that was occupying everything about him you know life is more than fighting a fight that nobody wins I'm amazed at who people fight with what people fight for and what people fight over I've known some folks that their whole life preacher their whole spiritual life their whole Christian life. It's been one battle after another, after another. It's always turmoil. There's a few seasons of, of peace, but, but it's always uh, more season of turmoil. Is that, is that you here this morning? Why, why does that happen? I'm, I'm glad you asked. We're only going to turn to one other passage. Will you look with me in James chapter number four? James chapter number four. This is a tough Sunday morning starting out of the gate missions conference message. But this is the one that God's been hammering me with. Let me tell you the good news about this. You guys are only going to hear about 30 minutes today and about 30 minutes tomorrow night. I've been hours and hours and days and days dealing with this and searching my own heart and looking at it through the, allowing this to be the litmus test. Look with me in James chapter 4. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust? Look at this. That war in your members. And you know what that means? You know what your members are? That's you. That's your, your faculties. So uh, verse 2. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war and you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your loss. So, so the reason why uh, we, we have these fights and battles and wars, number one, is because there's a war within us that we haven't won. Yeah. And if you don't win the war within you, you'll never win the war without. When we're constantly wanting and fighting and, and we feel like we have the right to this, we have a right to this. We have a right to this. Can I ask you a question, church? Does that go against everything that Christ taught us? Yes, it does. Now, we don't like it. 
We want to tell ourselves that we have the right. And when we tell ourselves that we have the right and we feel that we do have the right, then we can feel justified in the fight because we have the right. But but the Word of God says, no, you don't. And you can live your life fighting for things that can never be won, that can never be kept, or you can realize, wow, I am a foolish man. I am a foolish woman if I choose to battle these things. And the first thing we must do is deal and win the war within ourselves. And then when we win that war, then what we'll find is there won't be near as many other wars to fight. Or if we are fighting, it'll be the right thing. It won't be fighting with people over things that won't last. Now, this is hard, but this is truth. This will change the outlook of your life. It'll change how you feel about it when you get up in the morning. You could have got up this morning and you've been dwelling on something. You've been, it, it's occupied you. You, you, you can't do anything else. You can't think about anything else because there's this thing. You, you've been mistreated. You didn't get what you were supposed to get. It didn't work out the way it was supposed to work out. Hey, God knows that. Do you not think he knows that? You just have to trust him that in his time he'll work it out or in his time he won't work it out. Are you okay either way with just letting him do what he wants to do and then worrying then about the most important things? Now we look back. We look back to our text in Luke 12. He was at war with himself. There's no way to have peace with others until we resolve the conflict within ourselves. Can I just ask one more question before we move on to the second point? Do you know the common thread of all the conflict that you've ever had in life? There's one person that's been in every fight you've ever had. You know who it's been? It's been you. Oh, it's them. It's this person. It was this person. It was that person. It was that person. It was this. It was him. It was her. It was them. No, 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 no. No. No, no, no. No, it was me. All the problems I've ever had, preacher, it was me. And all the battles you have right now, it's you. It's me. It's me, oh, Lord. Standing in need of prayer, not my mother, not my father, not my sister, not the preacher, not the teacher, not my neighbor, not a political party, somebody that's on the other side of the fence for your political party. No, no, no. Not that at all. It's you. Resolve the conflict within yourself and realize the reason you have the conflict is because you're a spiritual being and you're trying to do it the earthly way. And the only way to to, to fix the conflict is to understand, wait a minute, life is more than this. It's more than this. So he's going to give a a stern, like a stern rebuke, if you will, a stern warning 
The company, uh, this, this one of the company comes to him, verse 13, he says, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance. And he said, Man, who made me a judge or a divider among you? Now Christ is going to make a statement, and then he's going to give a parable, and then he's going to give some teaching all based upon, he's going to utilize this person that just came. And everything he's now going to say is because of what the person came and made a request. Now look at what he says next. He said, Take heed. And beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possessed. You see, it, in, in, the, in the first point, it revealed his priorities, but now in this stern warning, it's going to reveal the problem. You know what his biggest problem was? It wasn't the debate between he and his brother. His biggest problem was he had a heart that could never be satisfied. No doubt he'd got something already, but he didn't get as much as he wanted. And the thing that he got wasn't his. The thing that he got, whatever it was, was passed down from his father. I mean, if you got $10, that's 10 more than you had at the beginning of the day. But the flesh is never satisfied with 10. It wants 20 or 200 or 2,000 or 200,000. And the problem was there was nothing that Christ could do. There was no way he could settle it that this guy would be satisfied with it because he had an appetite that that would never be satisfied. And Christ knew it. And so he went straight to the heart of the matter. And he said, beware. Beware when you have a heart that wants things and can never be satisfied. Life is more. Amen. Life is more than that. Yes. It's more than that. And all of us, we, we have to deal with this, don't we? You know, preachers have to deal with this too. God's blessed me. I have, I have some nice things. God's blessed me. I have a nice home. I, I, I drive a nice vehicle. But I'd be lying if there wouldn't. I mean, most days I'm just perfectly content. I'm completely happy. I mean, well over 300 days of the year. But then there's these days, preacher, where I, some guy will pull up beside me in a truck that's newer than mine and flashier than mine. And for a second I'll be like, man, look, I'd, I'd like to. And then it hits me. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Be content with such things as you have. Your father, he knows exactly what you need. He's the one who gave you that truck. He can take it away. You could be driving up. <laughs> I ain't even going to say. <laughs> could be walking. You could be doing what these guys do. It literally means when you beware of covetousness, literally means to guard yourself from the dangers of it. It's an unquenchable thirst for getting more and more of something that we think we need in order to be truly satisfied. There was a Roman proverb that said money's like seawater. The more you drink, the more you want. But the problem with seawater is it won't do you any good. And the money, it can do the same thing worth not careful. Men who trap animals in Africa for zoos, they say that there's, a, there's this little ring-tailed monkey, and he's the hardest one to catch. The Americans, uh, uh, or even Westerners, uh, really, really can't catch these little guys because they're, they're elusive. But there's a group of people called the Zulus, and, and they discovered from this group of people how to catch these guys. And uh, so what they do, they, they cut a little hole in a tree just big enough for these monkeys to put their put their hand in. Well, I guess you call it a hand. I don't know what you call that little thing they got. They got four of them. Feet, hand, whatever. 
And they, then they put some, uh, some of their favorite food just inside the hole. And the, the ring-tailed monkey will reach in there, and he'll grab that food. And then when he grabs the food, he can't, uh, he can't get his hand out. Now, all he has to do, I mean, we know what a dummy. All he has to do is let go of the stuff, right? And then he can pull his hand out. And he might could have gotten them one at a time and gotten them out. But no, no, you know what he won't do? He won't let go. And so when they come, there he is. There he is. And all they do is just grab him. And they've caught him. And, and why? Because he wouldn't let go. Now, what are you holding on to that the devil's got you trapped in the tree? And you don't even realize it because you won't let go. Life's more than this. It's more than what we think it is. It's more than chasing some things that can offer some temporary satisfaction, but really can't provide ultimate and eternal satisfaction. This rich man, this parable the Lord tells, he said, his ground brought forth plentifully. And he thinks within himself, what am I going to do? I don't have any room to bestow my fruit. So, so this, it creates a problem. Now we're going to deal with this tomorrow night. He says, I want to do this in verse 19. I want to say to my soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God's going to say to him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? The day is going to come. The day is going to come when the things that bring us enjoyment and pleasure and satisfaction, the day will come when it won't anymore. Are we live streaming back there? Are we live streaming back there? Would you, would you cut it for a second for me? Would you cut it?